Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on the show today, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Saraland, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm the best I have ever been. Guys, today is going to be the day. I want everybody to listen that can hear me at the sound of my voice. This is going to be the greatest insurance podcast in the history of the world. I don't know how many downloads this thing's going to get. But if you like this podcast as much as I know you're going to like this podcast, tell a friend about it, subscribe to the show. That's all I ask, nothing more. I ask nothing else from you but those two things. Guys, I have got my brother from another mother on the podcast today, Bradley Flowers, two nights ago at about 7, 8 o'clock in the p.m. on Central Standard Time, sends me this guy's bio that he sent us. He actually sent it to Bradley. Bradley texted it to me, and I responded and said, I don't know who that guy is, but I have got to get to know him, and I've got to get to know him right now. By far the best bio I have ever heard. So I cannot wait to get him on this show because you talk about Scott Howell being an open book. Dude, there is no telling where this podcast is about to go. But I can promise you one thing. Our mission on this podcast is, Every single week is to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to help insurance agents in any way we can. And having guys like this on the podcast, I feel very confident in saying will help all of you become better agents, run a more profitable agency. And if it doesn't do anything else, at least it helps you see kind of what other people are doing out there in the industry in terms of insurance agencies to kind of give you a different perspective on things. So without further ado, he is from Frankfort, Kentucky. He lives in Lexington, Kentucky. He is married to the most amazing, supportive wife in the world, Miss Natalie, and they have three beautiful babies. He is the owner, insurance agency owner for the insurance guy at Real Insurance Agency in Lexington, Kentucky. He played college soccer, I believe at the University of Kentucky, he has been a missionary in Puerto Rico and Ecuador. He started his insurance career with State Farm in 2012 and moved over to an independent agency named Energy Insurance in 2014. He is currently the agency owner and insurance guy at Real Insurance Agency in Lexington, Kentucky. And I know I said that already. And on top of all of that, he is a huge Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan, but we won't talk about that today. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and welcome the other incomparable Mr. Christian Moore. How are you, Christian? I'm great, guys. Thanks. You're right. That's the most insane intro I've ever heard. And there's, there's absolutely no way I'm well, going to live up to it. I've said this before. Scott doing intros for people needs to be his version of the GNN insurance bobblehead. That's right. Why are you not reaching right, out yeah. to every loan officer in a 50-mile radius and doing one of those for them? Do you know what's funny about you saying that is there's been probably three or four times 
when like an old friend of mine that I haven't talked to in five, 10, 15 years would yeah. call me and they'd leave a voicemail cause I'm either on the phone or doing something and I'll call them back and I'll get their voicemail. Uh-huh. And when their voicemail comes on, I give them <laughs> yeah. my intro Yeah, and they always text me back and they'll say something like that was the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm saving, <laughs> I'm saving that voicemail for the next 10 years. I spoke at a conference earlier this year here in Mobile, BizCon. And Johnny was actually the moderator, and he introduced me the same way you introduced right. me when I went on stage. That's awesome. And no, there was zero insurance agents in the room. Right. And everybody in there was like, what the hell was that? This guy? <laughs> He's not 6'3". What, what are you talking about? That guy's short. That's unbelievable. But it was really, really good. I, I absolutely loved it. Scott, you could do what they do. on you know, There's like the NPR show, right. and you know the winners of the show, they get their own personalized voicemail. Oh, that's, and, that's and maybe you, you could have people come into the insurance guys and mm-hmm. whoever like comments or has like the best tweet of the week or something like that, they could win that's a Scott a, Howe personalized voicemail. That's that, a really good so, idea. Christian, that is yet the, the 450th reason why you're on this show today. That's one of the best ideas I've ever heard. Now, before we get any further down the road here, I need you to do me a favor, climb in the passenger seat of my DeLorean. And I need you to go back in time with me. And I've read your bio, which is, again, the most amazing thing I've ever read in my entire life. And <laughs> climb in the passenger seat of my DeLorean. Take us back in time to where you got started in insurance and work us up to today. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll try and do that quick. Uh, so I was, uh, I've always been in sales. Actually, I never graduated from college. In fact, I was actually in college and uh, I had the opportunity to make 50000 a year going to $30,000 more debt. And I was like, well, I'm just going to not go back to college. <laughs> right. um, so I was, in, I was in college and actually was a state farm agent. And I'm going to give him a shout out because I love this guy. It's the reason I'm here. His name is Mike Brownell out of Lexington, Kentucky. And, and he was one of my clients and he just took me out of lunch. And, and seriously, from the goodness of his heart, he just showed me what insurance had meant to him, his family. Mm-hmm. His father had been an insurance agent at the time. He'd been there for 10 years. And and he really kind of just broke it down to me. And he told me something that, that stuck with me. And he said, one, he realized that I'd already reached the, uh, the ceiling where I was at. He said, in insurance, you can make as much money as you're willing to work for. And that really struck a chord with me because I was always willing to outwork the person beside me. I took a big pay cut. I went and worked in a state farm office. I ended up working in another state farm office. And my wife got pregnant and I, we needed to make more money. And so uh, and she wanted to stay home. And so I opened a semi-captive agency with a company called American National, mm. uh, American and National Pac. Insurance and PAC. You're one of the seven people who knew what it yeah, was. I used uh, to, I used to the, replace um, a lot of their policies back in the day. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, what, I, what I'm thankful about for my time with AMPAC is that I learned they're, they're a life insurance first company. And I yep. learned how to write. When I was at State Farm, I knew everything there was to know about life insurance. But then I would just throw that up on a table and no one would know what to do with it because they had so much information. Uh, what I learned at my time there was actually how to sell life insurance. And I did such a good job that I was recruited back to State Farm to be an agent in waiting or what they called at the time an additional intern, which they've since done away with. I was there for a couple of years for the, the simple fact is I'm not a great corporate guy. And I, uh, that, that's and I kind of saw a huge, on the wall that, there. That, that's a huge surprise. Yeah, right. Yeah, independent. Yeah, exactly. And so I kind of, yeah, I saw the writing on the wall there and I put my resume out and I was recruited by uh, this, this awesome agency uh, here in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, their big independent agency. They'd asked me to come over and basically kind of revamp their personal lines department, small business department. From the first time that I stepped in, I think the year before they told me they did a little less than like 200000 in personal lines. 
the president of the company at the time told me that our, our team aggressively answers the phones. <laughs> that's about it. That's so, a Scott uh, we, we kind of reach, we kind of, yeah, that's a Scott way. So we changed that and we, uh, and, and we kind of took this idea that, man, you actually can produce a lot of business in personal lines. Uh, and, and basically taking what I had learned from the captive model in terms of how to operate quickly, how to sell on value, and how not to remarket every single year, right. which is a, which is an epidemic in the independent side, and how to actually produce. And we, we basically used me as a model and hired a bunch more of me. And we went from less than 200000 in a year to $4 million in new production the year that I left. Ultimately, the reason I left wasn't necessarily because of anything with that company. They're an awesome company and they do a great job, but they kept getting bought by larger and larger conglomerates. And that corporate tentacle started to creep further and further into our decision-making paradigms. And, and really, REAL is the name of my agency. And uh, that's an acronym. The L stands for life-changing generosity. So what you have to know about me is that generosity is at the core of everything we do. And that I'm supremely motivated by being able to take care of the community. So I wanted to create something that provided a generational impact in our community. In order to do that, by the way, if we want to be here for generations and impact our community for generations, we can't sell because we have to be here. And so that was just kind of built into who we were. And so the the L, the life change generosity, because we were unable to make decisions with the local community in mind as things kept getting further and further away, as paychecks kept getting further and further away. I met a couple of guys who were actually commercial real estate tycoons in Kentucky. I always joke and say, I feel like I won the Kentucky version of the Shark Tank. I uh, met these guys in a Bible study, and they basically just approached me and said, Christian, we love everything we're hearing, and we will fund this and support this if you want to go and do it, which was basically the only way I could have done it because I had to guarantee my income. You know, These guys who start from scratch with no guaranteed income, they're my heroes. I talk to agents all over the country all the time, and they're like, Christian, how are you doing this? And I'm like... You know, I have a very unique model, and we're going to talk about it later today. But man, these guys who start from scratch and build up these two, three, five, ten million dollar businesses, and you know, they started in their basements or had to take out a personal loan. I I had to go find investors who could guarantee mm-hmm. my income. And I love the fact that you brought really- that up because Scott and I get hit up all the time about agents wanting to go independent or wanting to open an agency, and it's like, how much money do you? I don't have any money. Okay, yes, you can do it with no money, mm-hmm. but. For you to increase your chances of success, you got to have something. You know what I mean? You got to yeah. have something to put there. You're, you know? you're, you're definitely if you're if you're going to go out and go scratch out of the gate, no no money in the bank account, and you're about to do that, you're stepping into the breach. Yeah, you're going to war. And when I mean war, no, you either need to be like 23 years old, no responsibility, right? Or you need to have a significant other who has a decent amount of income where you can live off of that, right? Saving or have saved enough money where you can make those decisions, or you have to do what I did. And you got to go find somebody who can invest in it or be some type of partner with you in it. But the reality is, is that people who are good with money, you know how long it took my, my business partner to decide he wanted to do this with me? Four holes on a golf course. Right. That's how long. Yeah, right. And because he's, he's in commercial real estate and he goes, well, man, if you tell me that insurance does what it says it does, he goes, man, I'd be interested in giving you a few hundred thousand dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's way better than a long-term rental purchase. That partnership that you formed on a golf course that day, that partnership has worked well to date, I would assume, correct? Yeah, you know, it's something worth talking about because people always say they're leery of partnerships. Uh And even my partners and us have discussed the fact that one should be leery of partnerships. But I'll tell you this, my partnership with my partners is life and peace and freedom. Mm-hmm. And if anyone can experience the, a type of partners that I have, you know, people ask me, I'll tell them like, well, okay, well, they're not in the insurance business. They, you know, they're just kind of like the financial 
you know, stuff here. Like, you know, you want to get them out. And I tell them all, and I tell my partners this, I say, guys, I have no stress. I've started an insurance agency and we operate at an incredible pace and I have no stress in my life. And it's specifically because of them. And there is no value that you can put on, on that relationship for Mm. me. If you and I were to talk about insurance, we'd probably say, well, that's just insurance. Mm. You know, that's just our industry. Mm. But these guys, they ask a question that, you know, maybe a, a child would ask, but I have to explain something that I take for granted all the time right. you know, to somebody who doesn't understand it. And it actually makes me think about our industry differently. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one thing too, it sounds like based on the things that you've said about them to date in this podcast, there's a lot of trust there between all, all the parties involved. I believe that, yeah. that they trust you explicitly that you're going to always do the right thing by them. You're right. Partnerships can be a great thing. They can be business partnerships can be wonderful. They can also not be wonderful. And it sounds like, and and this is something Bradley and I were kind of talking, touching on this morning before we got started podcasting. It sounds like you guys worked all the particulars out up front. So there weren't any unanswered questions on the back end. It took us a year to make this decision, right? And during that year of us talking, I was still producing at that other agency. So that was an interesting thing in and of itself because I had to honor my commitment to where I was in the first place, but I also had this other idea. And I'll I'll say, just for the sake of it, I was still the top producer at the place I was before while I was planning on leaving. Right. I feel like I honored that well. But no, it took us about 10 months to have that conversation. And uh, I always tell people, I spent nine months on a cultural strategy and about two hours on a business plan. Right. Yeah. Are the two guys that you've got as partners, are they silent partners or what type of role do they play within the agency itself? They're not silent. They're quiet. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, yeah. And, you know, so they, uh, so you probably have like a meeting once guys, a month or something. Yeah. A couple, a couple times a month with one of the guys who basically acts kind of like my CFO. So if yeah. you can imagine as a sales guy, as a visionary kind of guy, uh, I don't have to deal with the minutia of like, of money right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and paying bills and, you know, all of that and projections and that kind of stuff. So we meet twice a, twice a month just to kind of see, make sure that we're on projection and on budget. And then the, um, the other guy, he's, uh, he's a little older than both of the, me and the other partner, you know, he's been successful for decades and mm-hmm. his father was successful for decades before him. And so he just, it's kind of like that rich dad, poor dad. I always joke and say like, he's more like, he's like my spiritual father, right? Like this guy has, so much wisdom and insight. And, uh, I just love being able to, you know, sit at his feet and learn from him and, you know, and really be able to, to gather what it means to be a CEO. And the thing that he's really taught me more than anything, and this is something that we need to talk about today is the difference between being an owner and being an employee. And what happens in our industry is a lot of people in our industry, they go and they stop being an employee for somebody They go and open an insurance agency. And then they create a system where they are an employee of their own agency instead of an owner. And that mentality shift is the thing that's going to take us into the future. I, I think that is the perfect segue into talking about growing your agency and culture, which are the two topics that we talked about, you know, that we wanted to talk about on the podcast today. So let's talk about that for just a second. You just touched sure. on it briefly, working on the business versus working in the business. And that was something I heard when I first started in insurance is Scott, you're going to have to make the decision are you going to work on your business or are you going to work in the business? So speak a little bit more to that about what you've learned from your, your mentor that's more of the CEO of what, you know, what you're doing in terms of, of how to work on versus in the business. 
Yeah, first of all, let me let me go back and say I'm not necessarily a, a pure believer in on versus in. Okay. And and the reason I say that is maybe one of the most intelligent insurance agents and one of the most successful guys I've ever have ever talked to is a guy named Grant Davis out of California, if you guys know him. He's forgotten more about insurance than most people will ever learn. Um and that's not much because he has a photographic memory. But anyway, he brought his son up, let his son be the president of the agency. He went back to selling and he's producing like a hundred thousand dollars in revenue a month. <laughs> the smartest awesome. thing that that guy could have done was go back and work in it. And right. so I just kind of, I kind of keep that in mind. I think what that means is that we need to know our strengths. Right. Right. And sometimes there, there are people who own businesses and they need to go hire a CEO mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. allow that CEO to be the visionary for them. And they just do what they're good at. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's worth saying. However, that said, I am trying to practice the on versus in personally, right. uh, but that gears towards my strengths. Right. I think what kind of brought uh, this conversation up with me and you guys is I really had, I was going to go speak at innovation and um, for the IAOA, Independent Agency Owners Alliance uh, Innovation in, in 2020 in San Diego. I was asked to speak and, and basically I talked with Bradley a little bit and really respected his opinion on, on marketing and branding, especially how, how many agents you guys get to interact with. And so Again, wanting to bring value, I just messaged Brad and said, hey, man, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think about it? Then a few weeks later, he said, we got to get you on the show. Right. Um, so the whole concept is think like an investor, right? And this is what my partners are, are really helping me with in terms also. So when you're when you're creating something that people are going to invest in, I was listening to your guy that you had. Um, maybe it was the last show, was it? The, the shark guy? Oh yeah, Scott um, Tindall. Scott. Scott Tindall. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when you when people like that when they're making a decision, the first thing that they're going to evaluate is what problem are we solving? Right. Right. And so I kind of in the same vein, I was like, you know, what's the biggest problem that I that I've heard personally from insurance agents across the country and talked to hundreds and hundreds at this point, and the answer is most of them feel like they need a good producer and they don't know how to get one. You know, how do I find the best team? How do we get the best team? And then oftentimes, I, you know, I was talking to an agency owner of a $30 million agency. He wanted a new producer. I got on his website and they've been around for like 150 years or something crazy like that. And they were just doing an awful job of telling their story just to be you know, transparent. And I said, what in the world makes you think you need to hire a producer? I said, you don't have a clarity of message. I, I, I wouldn't want to work for you. Right. I was like, now... If you told your story the way that I know your story actually is, mm-hmm. I'd want to work for you. Mm-hmm. But your story is garbage right now, mm-hmm. and you have all the you have all the tools there to make a great story. But you have no you have no reason to think that hiring a producer is going to solve your problem. Right. You have a clarity of message issue, right? And so this happens all the time. They want to they want to hire, and they think that hiring the producer is the answer. But really, that's not the problem. The problem isn't they don't have the right person. The problem mm-hmm. is, is that they want more business, and they don't know how to get it. And so we have this problem in our industry of the old way of thinking is so ingrained in the way that we should think. And I don't want to dis- discount the value of, of wisdom, but we also have a, a situation where we can't continue to think about insurance the way we thought about it for 60 years. And if you'll let me, this is something I love talking about. The history of insurance specific to the independent agency is so interesting because about 70 years ago, it particular to personal lines, uh, the insurance industry was split 50, 50 between captives and between independents. Mm-hmm. And then around, you know, 1960s, all of a sudden the captives started taking massive ownership of the personal lines market. Right. Uh, and so what happened in that time period, and it was basically the, the advent of the personal computer. And so over the next 20 years or so, the ability for technology to be disseminated from a captive sphere made a lot more sense because they all had, they had that 
that structure in place to disseminate information, right? And to share best practices. Mm -hmm. But independent agents are still working in barbershops and, you know, butcher stores and their basements and that kind of stuff. And they they couldn't afford that technology. So what ended up happening is, is captives took 90% of the market and independents took 90% of the commercial market, right? Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward, you know, 50 years. So now technology gives us, gives me, gives you guys the ability to compete against State Farm, Allstate, the Farm Bureaus and the Geico's and the Liberty Mutuals of the world. We can go compete against them because one, we're not ruled by the bureaucracy on top, but two is we can, these apps, man, we can do whatever we want. And in fact, we can integrate better and we can innovate better than the big companies because they're so big now and they have to disseminate so much information. They're slow moving. They can't move fast. Yep. They're slow moving. Yeah, you, you got it. And so now go to the mentality in the agency and let's talk about Personline specifically. The independent agent, this is the thing that I'm warring against right now. The independent agent, the, for the last 20, 30 years, you know, commercial is where we can win, right? And so, and they, their thought on personal lines has been, well, we just give it to the girls to handle. Exactly. And I'm sorry, that's a sexist statement, and I don't mean that personally, no, it's but this true. is literally what is being said. It's true. We just give that to the girls to handle. Yep. And so the girls, the quote unquote girls, are people who are being paid twenty-five dollars to $35,000 a year at 4.29 p.m. They're at the elevator, ready to leave. They don't take their work home for them, and all they see it is one piece of paper being moved to the other other side of the desk, and they're not being incentivized properly to take care of clients. So they don't have no, no ownership, ownership of it. Yep. You got it, 100%. And so now in the industry right now, I was talking to the vice president of this huge company, and he said, I don't even know why insurance agents are trying to write personal lines insurance anymore. Well, what we're going to talk about today is that if I've seen this correctly, we're going to start writing $8 million a year in personal lines. Mm. So would you like to write $8 million in premium a year? Right. Well, yeah. Well, now that you say that, sure. And I think it's because when we mix these things of culture, mentality, processes, systems, technology together, we put ourselves in a position that, that honestly no one else can compete against. Right. And so now we're in a place in our industry to just completely take over. So the history of insurance is always really interesting to me because I think the big problem, and so this guy, uh, Gallagher from Gallagher Insurance, like the number four insurance broker in the country, clearly he's brilliant. Clearly he knows what he's talking about in, inside of his industry, but he released this statement. And basically what he was saying was, is that, and he used the term for insurance agencies that are just small business general generalist, just like we don't matter. Right. And just, I, I love that. And he said, for those people who are just that, basically he said, your time is coming to an end. Mergers and acquisitions are going to take you over. And what's perfect about that is because the entirety of what I wanted to speak about was because it was the belief of that the only thing that can happen is for small insurance agencies to sell. And what I really want to purport more than anything else is that right now where we are is if you can have the right mentality and you can put yourself in the right place, those selling agencies are actually creating headaches and tumult in the industry, and the clients are going to experience it. They're going to hate it, and they're going to look for somewhere else to go. And so instead of acquiring agencies and looking to buy agencies, uh, what we can actually do is we can actually put ourselves to organically acquire business by finding the right producers. But before we find the right producers, we have to create the right culture. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. And I guess to expand on that, I saw a slide. I was at an upper management meeting with an insurance carrier four or five months ago. And one of the leaders of that particular huge brand was up speaking on stage. And she threw a slide up as part of her PowerPoint presentation. And she said that in the last 10 years, 
the captive agency force across the United States had lost 10% market share. Now that probably is fragmented, but, but the majority of that loss has probably come from, you know, direct writers and the progressives and the Geico's and, and some independents have taken that business. But then she said in the last 10 years, the independent agency channel has held steady with their market share. Of course, a lot of that reason is probably because independents have choices, right? They have, you know, they get, they take major rate with this carrier, then they just put somebody with that carrier. So I thought that was a very interesting slide that she threw up as we're talking about kind of the history of captives versus independents. Can we talk about something though? This article, excuse my French, is so (laughs) half-assed, like... Literally, right. this this you can look at this and tell it was done in like two and a half minutes. Which order? Right. Which order I, are you talking about? The the one he was talking about with Gallagher. It's like he b- believes small it's general an insurance ge- business mag. But 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 let me tell you this, and I've got a copy of I this. Guess, I guess they can't go too deep because people might go to sleep. Well, but, but well, I will tell you both this. Okay, listen to this or don't. About 2012 or 13, somewhere in that time frame, there was a there was a think tank called the McKinsey Report that came out. You know, mm-hmm. one of their focuses is on insurance, and they came out with this report that was kind of the future of the insurance industry. And right, wrong, or indifferent, there were a lot of carriers that took that report and walked into boardrooms and started talking about the future of the insurance industry. And basically that report, if you read it front to back, and it's pretty in-depth, starts talking about the demise of the insurance agent, right? And that's where a lot, right. of the, a lot of these major carriers started coming up with these grand plans of you know, either getting rid of agents or how we're going to do business in the future. That report was used. I know it was used and looked at very heavily by a lot of carriers. Now, it's been a while since I looked at it. I don't know where we stand today with that. Here's the thing, though, Christian. So the very last line of this article says, in the United States, 90% of the time, and this is Arthur Gallagher saying this. Okay. Right. In the United States, 90% of the time, we are competing with a player that is much smaller than us. Most of the time, we are competing with a local agency who doesn't have anything like our capabilities. Now, I kind of can see where his going. point, yeah. but yeah, you're big and slow, Arthur. All right. A small independent agency that is willing to adapt and change and use new technology can do it a whole lot faster than a hundred million dollar agency. Am I wrong with that? No. Well, I mean, let's talk about a hundred. You're right. And especially when we talk about the innovation and where our industry is truly going. Right. Right. They can't, they cannot move. They'll be around. They're big, yeah. they're big enough and strong enough and, and, and solid enough. They'll be around, but they can't move us forward. So right. if, we, if we think that the way forward for our industry is for the Gallagher's and the assured partners of the world to make the way for us, yeah. we're behind the wrong block. You know what I'm saying? Right. Don't, I mean, like, don't you see? Be, you know, don't, don't, I mean, don't you see where I'm yeah. getting at, though, with that? Like, I get his point of view and I get why he thinks that. And I'm not necessarily saying he's wrong, but I love my chances against a big agency right. because they're going to have the two, two hour turnaround time. I'm going to have the 20 minute turnaround time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and not to be, you know, and that's, and now if we're talking about personal lines, that's one thing. But now, you know, let's go against a, a $500,000 account and put us versus. Gallagher, right? They may have. So if you're going to compete in these big markets, 
then you need to be a specialist. I agree with him. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that to some degree, and what we have to realize, and, and this is why I wanted to bring up the history of insurance before, he perfectly exemplifies somebody with the mentality of, we just give the personal lines to the girls. Yeah. That is him. Yeah. 100%. Because what he was talking about, he didn't even consider for a second that he might be talking about small, and when we say small business, we mean Fifteen to twenty-five thousand. When he says small business, he means anything under seventy-five thousand in premium. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So he's saying the people who are generalists in seventy-five thousand and under are debt, mm-hmm. and he's not even thinking about the ability to write personal lines on a mass scale. Mm-hmm. Right, and they never will because, like you just said, they don't have the capacity to operate in a nimble way. Mm-hmm. And and they also you don't you get complacent, right? When 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 you're 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 massive. Well, that's you know, a, that's a Gary Vaynerchuk like, thing right there. Like, I guarantee you, Christian can sit here and talk about all kind of new technology coming into the industry that these people don't even know about, and they can probably talk about things he doesn't know about. But it's it's comparing apples to oranges, right? And I I disagree with that that very last statement of yeah, the, they don't have anything like our capabilities. That's BS. Yeah. So here's here's what I'd like for you to do to the for the two hundred and fifty thousand insurance agents that are going to hear this podcast. Here's what I want my brother from another mother to do. The first thing I want you to do before you get into my second part of this question is what I want you to do is my goal for 2019 in our podcast audience is to give these insurance agents each and every week that we come on the podcast some actionable steps that they can take when they turn this podcast off to go and take action on to improve their profitability, improve their agency, and to give them another perspective on what's out there, okay? And what I'd like for you to okay. do is t- is talk in actionable steps on how you believe, based on your growth and what your agency is doing, to ultimately make a generational impact in your community, which is a big, bold statement, by the way. That's a pretty bold statement. But I want you to give them some yeah. actionable steps. Let's do one action, one, two, three, four, five. But before you do that, just so that they sit up and take notice of who the hell is on this podcast right now, I want you to tell them about your growth and where you guys are today versus last year. You know, I want them to hear this before you start talking. I'm going to preface with that the first thing that has to happen before we talk about numbers or anything else is that you have to figure out, you know, talk Simon Sinek, whatever you want to say, but you have to figure out a why, uh-huh. right? You actually have to figure out something that's going to inspire people. Right. And at the end of the day, whether you're talking about a client, a team member, a marketing rep from a company you're trying to get a um, an appointment from, uh, an investor, at the end of the day, everyone just wants to be inspired. That's it. Everyone is looking to be inspired. And you can figure it out this way. Go find someone who loves you the most and go argue with them on Facebook and see if you can change their mind. <laughs> you can't, right? <laughs> but now go find someone who barely knows you and send them an encouraging message. Right. They can be encouraged by you and not know you. They cannot have their mind changed even if they know you better than your mom. Right. Right. And so at the end of the day, there's a truth here that we have to figure out that we have to we have to be seeking to inspire people. And if we're just in it for the money, if we're just in it for the money, we can't inspire anybody. We can maybe go find some good people and we can have some good lives and uh, and we we can be good at making money. But if your team who comes up against my team, man, my team is going to beat your team all day because they're living inspired lives and they're inspiring others with generosity 
And there's something about it that beyond insurance, they get to win. And it's because of the culture that we have in our agency. So, so we set so, that up. So, and then we so go, let's stop right there, okay? Because I want these people to understand yeah. what you're talking about. I love the okay. word inspiration. But if I'm one of the 250,000 insurance agents listening to this right now, the first thing I'm thinking about is, well, how the hell do I inspire my team? You know, what do I do to create that inspiration, to give them that why, to make them want to do better, to make, to inspire them to, 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 to do more and to do better and to, to live better lives. So I guess, I guess out of the gate, what, what have you done in terms of your culture to create that? Yeah. Yeah. So real stands for right intentions. So we start with right intentions and we can break that down. I'm not going to go into it also for the sake of time. So right intentions, intentions are worthless without processes. So the E stands for excellent processes. The A stands for awesome products. We're going to have, we're going to utilize the best technology to have processes and we're going to utilize the best carriers we can possibly gain access to to have the best products. Right. So now REA, all of this has nothing to do with insurance, by the way, which should be interesting to us. And then L is life-changing generosity. I believe anyone can be real, right? And so I think that these components are the things that make us REA. You can take that and you can apply it to any business, anywhere, and you can have a successful business. When you apply the L, that's the thing that makes us unique. And it's it's our value add. So when you do business with me and my team, when you save money on your insurance, some portion of that is going to feed, clothe, or educate the people in our community who need it most. By the way, those people are probably never going to be our clients, not because we don't want them to be our clients, but because they're just not the people who can be found. They're overlooked by definition. Stop we right are there. Go serve those people. Stop. Stop right there before you continue. There's going to be because, a lot of stop right because there. Because I, I have never, never, ever heard this before. So I, I need you to go back. You just said okay. that, let's say Mr. Johnson calls your agency and you guys do a homeowner's quote for him and he's with XYZ Carrier with, an, with another agency. You guys save him $800 on his homeowner's insurance, okay? So you just yeah. talked about life-changing generosity and how part of that savings was going to go to some form of helping someone out there. How do you do that? Tell me how you do that. You know, so there's a reality of, and we can kind of get into the reality of where our agency is and those kinds of things. The reality of is like, how much money can you give from debt? I, I, I just did a five-year analysis and it looked, and if all of my numbers are correct, our plan is to give $300,000 away in the year of 2024, mm. right? And not to give it away, but to live to not, not far away, but to put it into our community in here, Lexington, Kentucky, or, you know, some other city where we are. And the cool thing about the narrative, by the way, is that Wherever, if let's say we open an office in Nashville, Tennessee, the agent who's who's selling in Nashville, Tennessee, the revenue generated from that place goes back to that community. So the narrative always remains the same, mm. right? Um, and so how we do that is we find people, you know, we find people who are already doing it well, and we're going to go and support those those organizations. I hope the situation doesn't happen to anybody, but I would love to come across a situation where. Some person has lost their significant other and they, now they've got to go back to school. They don't know what to do with themselves. I would love to come alongside and come find some church or some organization and say, hey, guys, here's 40000 bucks. You take care of that woman and allow her to go back to school, take care of those kids, and don't tell them what's from us. Okay, if I could find something from that perspective, if I could find that opportunity, that's the biggest win. It'll be something that no one will ever hear about. From right? a financial standpoint, um, so, you know, how, how is that structured? I mean, are you giving a percentage of your profits or – how, how, to talk a little bit about that. 
we're going to give it from our gross profits. Right now, we're just we're giving we're giving from uh, it's it's an expense item because technically technically we're operating from and we can get into this later too because it's going to be wide open. But our our agency purposefully started with you know a, a relatively large loan amount. So some of that was particularly allocated. So in our first couple of years before we get on the profit side of things that we're still giving. Are you saying you kind of have a budget set aside every year for this is our budget, just like a marketing budget. This is our generosity budget. This is what we're going to give to the local. You community. got it. Yeah. But, but, yeah, 100%, uh, but, but here's something that's more important than the money. If it's okay for me to say yeah. is that generosity, one of the coolest things when I was looking up the word generosity and I'm one of these nerds that has like a, an 1812 dictionary from Noah Webster in his office. But when I was looking up the word generosity, there's some really cool synonyms from it, specifically going back to 1812. One of it was uh, the nobleness of soul, <laughs> mm. which I just freaking love. But on top of that, in our agency, when so we talk about open-handed. I tell my team to close your fists and you fight and you scrap and you get in front of the client. But once we get there, we open our hands up. Right. And if we ever feel like we're grasping for something, we're doing it wrong. Well, one of the really cool things that I found is that the word open-handed is actually a synonym for generosity. So by being an open-handed salesperson, you are actually participating in a form of generosity to your client that they most likely have not experienced. Mm-hmm. And you're not calling the local paper and going, hey, you need to run a story about us donating $15,000 to kids in need at Christmas or anything, right? It's just done out of the nobleness of the soul out of your, you know, what you guys feel like is the right thing to do. If you get on our website, you can probably get a sense that we do something like that. Or if you hear if we're in conversations with people, we'll tell people about it. And it is, it's something that I have a hard time walking down the line with, honestly, just because I do think it's something worth talking about. I do think there's a value that does inspire people to that. Right. The same side, I don't want to be sleazy about it. Right. And this is the other part of it that's really important to me when I'm telling people about it. I was like, don't worry. By the way, my team is paid better than every other team in this state. Mm-hmm. And so how do we do this? Basically, me and my partners just decided to make less money. Talk a little bit about, Christian, about the success that you guys had in your first year. Yeah. So if, yeah, a lot of it was contingent upon getting the right carriers. And so with that right message, and man, let me tell this is my favorite analogy to tell. First time worldwide experience, everyone's going to hear this. But what I would tell people is that that philosophy of hiring the right people, which is really what we're getting into here, the analogy I would give my carrier. So this is how we got the rep. So we have, oh, 15 direct carrier appointments as a scratch agency. I didn't realize it at the time, but apparently that's like not heard of. <laughs> Luckily, I was naive enough and arrogant enough to just think that that could happen. The analogy was, if you have two people on the side of the road, you've got a starving guy and you've got, uh, and, and this starving guy, he hasn't eaten in three weeks. If he doesn't eat today, he dies. And there's a stake in the middle of the road. How it got there, we can figure that out later. But there's a stake in the middle of the road, and he wants that stake, not just so that he can enjoy a piece of steak, but because if he doesn't eat it, he's going to die. And he's willing not only to, to die for that steak, he's willing to kill you to get it. On the other side of it, of the road, is a man who is a professional boxer. He's walking away from the gym. He eats steak every morning for breakfast with eggs. He loves steak. He is, he is a connoisseur of steak. And he is trained professionally to fight. And these, these two men are going to go and they're going to fight over the stake. Who's going to win? Boxer. 100% of the time. And my, my reason for that is, is that a well-paid, well-trained professional is always going to beat the starving 
person just trying to eat something. But here's where it gets even more important. This is where the narrative, and anyone listening to this, I promise if you tell this to a carrier, I promise it will resonate because what they're most afraid of is they're most afraid that you're going to put bad business with them because you're just trying to get started. But here's the narrative. On top of that, on top of I'm going to pay my team better, I'm going to treat them better. So they're being paid to walk away. But maybe more important than that is that my team loves steak. They love it. They won't just eat any steak. It has to be Kobe. It has to be perfect. It has to be marbled. It has to be medium, right? Or medium rare, depending on your preference. It better not be anything other than those two things. But the point is, is that they're going to inspect it before they take a bite. The starving man, he's going to get halfway through the steak before he realizes that there's maggots in his mouth. And guess what? He's still going to eat because he has to, or he's going to starve, right? So now the narrative for the carrier is my team is paid well and they're trained well, but more than that, they're also incentivized to walk away from bad decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to resonate really well. So you talk about an actionable item, take that narrative, steal it from me, just tell, you know, tell people that I said it or something. But other than that, steal it and use it. And man, I'm telling you, these carriers are looking for that type of narrative. So anyway, to to my point, we got the carriers on board and then we went, we we just kind of took off. I I went with me and two other guys at the time. One was a uh, commercial captive agent with a company called Sentry. He left them. Uh, the other was an Erie agent, and, and we, we were able to take him from one of the large, largest Erie agencies uh, in the country. We brought them both in, and we just hit the ground running. In our first year, we did a little over $2 million in new business. We added two other producers at the end of the year. This year, with me transitioning out of sales for a large portion of it, uh, we're going to do a little over $3 million in new business. So in our first two years, we will have written just a little over $5 million in, in new business premium. With 2020, we are expecting to write between five and nine million. There's a large disparity there, but there's we're working with large numbers. So the true number is somewhere between five on the low end and nine on the high end in new business in 2020. That's amazing. And is that predominantly personal lines? So far, it has been pretty. It's been a pretty decent split. So we're like 60 40. Okay. Um, the um, but in 2020, with some of our partnerships and the things that we're going to do, it's probably going to be closer to like 90 10 personal commercial. Gotcha. So you mentioned carrier appointments. I want you to tell the story. Uh, there, there's a carrier out there that, that we all know of that is very, very <laughs> notoriously, like probably the most difficult to get an appointment with without naming yeah. their name. Christian got appointed with them as a scratch agent. So talk a little bit about, just because I know this doesn't quite fit in the podcast, but talk about that. That that's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's one of my favorite stories ever. And it kind of hits me in the heartstrings because I just went through that uh, January to March yeah. of this year, get, going getting all these appointments and stuff. When you told me that story a few months back, I was, I was like waving the, the black flag prepared to go to war. So Oh man. Well, I mean, you know, the, what's, what's really funny too, is that the backstory that makes it even worse or, or funny or however you want to look at it, because that particular carrier, they were the last carrier that I told that I was leaving my previous agency because their, uh, their relationship with me, there was a chance I could keep buying my book. So their relationship mattered the most. I had told myself that I was going to use them as an indicator that this was a sign from God for me to leave my agency. If they said, yes, they were going to come with me. And they said, yes, we're going to come with you. Wow. And so I was like, all right, I've got to go start this agency. That's it. But then when I started the agency, they said, uh, the, the guy, the guy who was my, um, uh, who was my contact at the time, he said, Christian, I know you, I know your quality of business. He's like, I'll stick my neck out for you. Well, then when I started the agency, he said, Hey, so it turns out, uh, not allowed to do that. It's not that I won't stick my neck out for you. I'm just literally not allowed to, 
we don't go on with scratch agencies. And uh, I was like, which you will hear a lot opening a scratch agency. You will hear a lot. That kind of sucked, but I was like, you know what? We're going to write a million dollars in six months. And surely with a million dollar book of business, they'll want to come in and get in on that. Right. Six months later comes by and I was like, Hey, you, you, you say we could talk in six months. What's the deal? And he said, you know what? Uh, no, uh, what I was saying was I wanted to check on you in six months. It's going to be, it's going to be two more years. <laughs> yep. And, uh, at the time, this particular carry does a decent job with some garaging and that kind of stuff. And we lost about a $500,000 opportunity that we had. We could have won it just based on the relationship alone on, on the commercial side. And I was just pissed, man. <laughs> I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm not missing another opportunity because I didn't try hard enough. So this time I had asked them three times formally and they'd said no three times. I wrote a letter. I did some research, talked to some other agency owners and found an email to one of the vice presidents of this company. And I sent them an email. And basically what I said was... Say say the title of the email, um, the subject line. Oh, the subject line. Was Was it like a a terrible decision or something like that? something like a strong reason or like, it, I don't know, it was something, I don't know, so, something basically setting the tone that this is a very strongly written email. <laughs> and it started off with basically, we're not a scratch agency. You've never heard of anything like us. And for you to think of us as a scratch agency is the wrong way to think. And I'm going to tell you why. And I listed it out why. The last paragraph said, I simply cannot wait for two more years. Do not make me become an eerie agency. <laughs> and uh about three weeks later i got a call back from the vp and uh and and she said hey i'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you i had to set aside an hour of my day to read your email <laughs> but eventually they they came in and interviewed us and i was able to prove that the things i was saying uh, were accurate uh, they came on with us uh in uh september we started writing business with them in october and to date we've put a little over five hundred thousand with them 50-50 personal commercial, so kind of perfect with them. Their four-year goal for us was 400000 We did 500000 in nine months. They're okay. They're happy with us now. How much of that? One of it is the fight, though, right? And I've gotten some appointments that I shouldn't have gotten, nothing like that. But you have to sell yourself to these carrier reps. you know? you got to remember, not that there's anything wrong with the, the single-man agent who's running it out of his house, but so many carriers don't want that. And you've got to remember 99% of the agents some of these reps are talking to, that's what they're talking to. Mm-hmm. So when they run across someone yep. like Christian or like myself who's going in the hole deeply to hire people their first few years, A, they're not used to that, and B, they don't believe you right. because they're not used to it. So if you sit down and make a good business case to these carriers, they will listen to you. About two weeks ago, I got appointed by a small regional carrier that I kind of wanted. I didn't have to have it, but I wanted it, and I got one of their VPs on the phone. We'll call her Amanda. I don't remember. I do remember her name, but I don't, I don't want to say it. She and I go back and forth about for about 15 minutes, and finally I stopped. And I said, Amanda, I'm going to tell you something, and I, I, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. I said, when you started your career in insurance, to get to where you are today as a vice president of this company, somebody somewhere gave you a chance. They gave you an opportunity, and they took a flyer on you. And here you are today in the position that you're in. And what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to take a chance on us. And if you'll do that, I can promise you, you will not regret that. And she yeah. kind of, and she kind of sat there for about 10 seconds and really didn't say anything. And finally she said, 
you know what? I'm going to give you a shot. And that, that kind of speaks to what, what the three of us are talking about right now. And I want to, I want to parlay that into something else in just a second. But what the three of us are talking about is if you're one of these agencies out here and you are going to go independent or you're looking for different carriers, you got to fight with, with both hands and feet to, to get mm-hmm. these guys to give you appointments because you just picking up the phone and calling them and going, Hey, uh, you mind giving us an appointment? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. Yep. And don't feel good. God, don't fill yeah. the form out online. Right. Hey, hey, Christian, I want to know, yeah. I want to know an answer to a question. So you're able through your ability to sell your ability to motivate others. You are able to get what I think you said, 15 carriers to write through kind of out of the gate, yep. right? How much of the success and growth that you have been able to work and acquire over the past few years, do you attribute to that? Meaning if you had not been able to do that and you had only gotten three carriers, four carriers, where, where do you think you would be at today? Yeah, no, I, uh, that would be, it'd be significant. Now, one thing that's worth saying, cause I hate it when people only, you know, the Instagram life and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we, I, I actually just canceled two contracts because two carriers wouldn't operate the way that I want them to. Right you have to know yourself and you have to know your model and you have to know your identity. So I, you know, I just reached out to him. I said, Hey, look, you know, you guys are amazing. You're awesome. Um, I can't wait 45 days for a quote. That's not how we operate. Right. You know, that's unacceptable in today's day and age. Uh, on the flip side of it, um, you know, they were like, well, you know, I, you know, I, I showed them our numbers. I said, Hey, we wrote $2 million last year. You guys got 987. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't think it's working out. Right. right. Um, and, and it was amicable and they, they understand that. And I, you know, they're going to, they'll make changes and we can revisit, but right. anyway, but we did make those, those determinations. And as a result, we're going to bring on a couple better, you mm-hmm. know, appointments now. Um, mm-hmm. one appointment I really wanted, I didn't get. And I just kind of shelved it. And I called him back a year later and I said, Hey, I did all the things I said I was going to do. What do mm-hmm. you think? Mm-hmm. And they said, absolutely. We're in. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, to your point though, is right now, and this is actually interesting that you bring that up. I'm actually in the middle of trying to develop a program that helps captive agents come to the independent side. Mm-hmm. And because, and we, and this, this, I apologize. I'm probably gonna make some people mad with this, but, uh, you know, the only option for a captive agent or someone who wants to come to the independent channel mm-hmm. is they basically have to sell their soul mm-hmm. because in order to get access to the types of carriers I have access to, they have to give up 30% of their revenue. Mm-hmm. They have to give up a large portion of their book. And if they leave with some of them, you're not allowed to write business with those carriers for two years. Mm-hmm. Right? So what's happened is, is that they realize that these large aggregators, they mm-hmm. realize that you are in a weak position mm-hmm. And they're in a strong position and they're going to rape you in order to get what they want. And that's what it is, in my opinion. And so what we're trying to figure out is we're trying to figure out how do we solve that problem and actually give somebody ownership and at the same time provide the systems and resources and successful model that we have for them to be able to take over those, to, to be able to actually step out and it not be a detriment to them, their families, or their careers, right? So we're literally in the process of figuring that out. So my answer to you is that it's incredibly important because if I couldn't get the carriers, I couldn't get my team right. as great as I feel like our why and our culture is if I couldn't provide for my team in the way that, that I need to be able to provide, meaning that they have opportunity to close their sales, you know, we'd, we'd be okay. We'd, we'd still by na- by national numbers be, you know, still killing it, but we'd be half of where we're at. Yeah. You know, something along those lines. Talk, talk a little bit about uh, the program you guys are, are working out with the title company. We're figuring out some last 
things uh, in terms of the contract, but we are getting ready to partner with a title company and that's going to give us access to thousands and thousands and thousands of, of contacts every year. Uh, so somewhere, you know, to begin with somewhere between seven and, and 10,000. Why we did this was, is, you know, I was trying to figure out how can we, uh, and first of all, my mentality as an owner is that I hire people that can eat what they kill, but then I don't require them to. I want to actually, my goal is to supplement their income by about 30%. So if I, I think if I'm doing my job correctly, the money that I'm spending in my agency has a direct ROI into my team's pocket, and it's going to give them about 30% of their sales. Uh, and then the rest is, you know, stuff that they should also be initiating on their own. As what we were looking for is, you know, we get all these loans, you know, talk to, you know, Matt and Zach over at GNN. And they have these, they have these loan officer programs. I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if like we created like a network for just loan officer organizations? And like we go in and build in like individual agencies and, you know, I'm not doing this by the way. So if someone likes the idea, you know, take it and steal it. Uh, but what happened was, is like, even with the best, you know, they're doing maybe 600 loans a year in Kentucky, you know, if you're in Miami or something, you know, that's how much they're doing a month or something. But in Kentucky, you know, in Lexington, six to 800 a year is killing it in this area. And that's, you know, one twelfth of what this title company is seeing. So we're kind of creating like this separate competing entity. So I'm still going to have my team at real operating in one capacity. And then I'm going to kind of separate a team and make them just the title company team. And all we're doing is handling the transactions in the title company, inserting ourselves into the buying process. And technically what I'm doing then is in my real insurance agency, we're still doing what Matt and Zach and those guys are doing. We're still go shaking hands and we're talking to mortgage loan officers and all that kind of stuff. But now if I'm not catching them in one place, I'm catching them in the other. And technically I'm making myself the only competition in town for purchases. We're having to process this. So does that mean does that mean that you're getting into the title title business or how exactly nope. will that work as nope. far as that team goes? Yeah, I just went and found a really successful actually the the title company found us. Yeah, so basically the title company is they they're doing their thing and and you know inside of their application there's going to be uh there's going to be something on there that says can we share your information? Probably be more assumptive than that, probably be something like, "Hey, we're going to find you the best insurance quote, you know, click here to opt out." Something like that, right? We bring them over and then we, um, at that point, then we're going to insert ourselves into the sales process. So there's going to be someone who's reaching out and actually, you know, trying to get the quotes on the, on the front end. Uh, of course, everything is surrounded about around being able to round out the account and actually win the auto. The process is obviously is the secret sauce of everything, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that's going to make it work better than anything else. But basically we needed, we needed to have this, this title company on board with, we're not talking just a referral partner, right? We're, we are actually literally partnering with them. And now they have ownership in the book of business that we're going to create. And again, this is the concept of partners. They fit us culturally. Um, and because of that cultural fit, it makes the business side of it make a lot of sense. Is there an incentive to the title company other than just getting the loan closed in an efficient manner? He, he said that they were going to have, oh, yeah. they were going to have ownership in the book. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what we're, what we're planning on is, you know, we're going to, we're going to give them a split of it and, we're going to manage everything in-house, all of the business in-house. So there's one brand, uh, one customer experience is going to be the same. So the client experience, key to everything, you know, but by the, you know, depending on what our close ratios are and our ability to round out accounts, you know, if we're just super conservative, we're talking, you know, in just a couple of years, hundreds of thousands to literally over a million dollars of profit for them and their cut. 
So you've essentially um, created so, a sub-producer agency within your agency for you in the title company, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I guess they're getting a cut of the commission along with the, the, the ownership, and they just have to get the client to sign off on a... Some of that's the intricacies of the contract itself. You know, basically, there's a couple of ways that you can do it. We are giving one of my team members who, who kind of brought the deal to the table. We're actually going to end up moving him over to the entity and elevating, elevating him uh, and giving him uh, something called phantom equity, if you're familiar with that concept. So he's going to actually have profit sharing in the business while not having ownership of it, but he will act and operate like an owner. Um, we're going to you know, split it up depending on where we come on the, on the ownership split. We're going to share expenses and, and at the end of the day, just you know, distribute profit. But yeah, and that's, you know, that's the other cool thing because you know, it, we can and we, we are proposing and happy and willing to give commission on the front end. But then, of course, one of them has to get licensed right. um, as a as an owner of an entity. Right. They just have to be they just have to receive distributions. So it's just kind of a question of how we end up making that model work. And I guess, um, you know, the, the biggest risk would be the title agent saying, I don't need this guy. I'm going to do it myself. But I suppose that that would be a whole lot more work than just signing on with Christian. Right. I'm perfectly happy for people to to generate and however they want to, yeah. but kind of when they came to us, they you know they had come from some type of conference. They basically said, "Hey, we know one thing for sure: we're not an insurance agency. We're really good at this, mm-hmm. uh, but we're not. We don't want to. We don't. We're not, and we don't want to be. We just want to gain access to this profit sharing and this yeah. revenue stream." They kind of brought it to us that way, and that was that was a pretty quick indicator that we were on the right track to start with because they kind of had the vision on the front end that we don't want to do insurance, <laughs> yeah, right. um, which was perfect for us. So when you round that account, is it real rounding that account with the auto or is it that agency as well, so to speak? Yeah. So it's always going to be, so, so basically all, once all accounts are sold, they're all going to, it's all real. Uh, we know, we, right. you know it's real insurance. It's always going to be real insurance. So from a customer standpoint, you know, they call in, it's going to be real insurance. There'll be subcodes and that type of thing to deal with it. But in terms of like the, the client experience, they'll have no concept of the difference. Mm-hmm. Huh. I guess my question is, is that partner with that title company, are they getting a cut of the auto as well or just the home? They would get the auto as well, for sure. So that their you know, one account. thing okay. to kind of, yeah, because that's, yeah, that's their account. Then absolutely. If we round the account a year or two years later, and that's in the that's in the title company account, then they're going to get the benefit of that. And again, that kind of goes towards our belief in terms of we want to be generous partners, right? And then on, on the other side of that, if one of those people, here's a question. So I just told you I'm going to create a title. I'm going to create a competition. Well, what if the title company producer takes a policy that because we're working with the loan officers, what if we they end up closing it over there and it ends up coming out from under my team member who is also working on it? Mm-hmm. What we determined is that we're going to pay the producer at the title company agency, and we're going to put the policy into my producer's pocket because foundationally the other thing doesn't exist if my team doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to create something that is going to hurt my team. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've told them this, I would walk away from this entire deal if they felt that it was going to hurt them. So my team is primary to me and I have to take care of them. And man, in our agency, I mean, we literally say things like, I love you. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have a very special culture, and Scott I'm not and willing too. to sacrifice that for any amount of money. I could tell that you guys had a lot of that going on. Yeah. I want to speak to all the insurance agents listening to this right now for just a second. So so insurance is run by each particular state in the United States of America, and different states have rules and regulations about certain things. I know in the state of Alabama, I see a lot of real estate companies, especially larger 
real estate companies that are jumping off over into the mortgage business. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, well, it's not enough just to get the real estate, you know, commissions, but we also want to dip our hand into the, into the mortgage side. And then I've seen two or three large real estate agencies in Alabama partner with an insurance agency where there's some type of partnership agreement similar to what you're talking about right now doing with a title company. But what I would encourage agents to do, and Christian, I know you feel the same way, before you go jump off into anything like that, just make sure that you're not violating some state of whatever, you know, insurance laws that are out there. I think it would probably behoove because yeah. we got people from all over the country. I don't know what the laws are in California or Washington state or anywhere else that might be listening to the show. But man, that is a fantastic idea. No, I absolutely thanks, love thanks. it. Yeah. You know, if we want to generate money and, and give things away, then we need to do it faster. So basically right. you know, one thing that we have to consider as agents is, you know, we can make a lot of money in this industry, right? Right. It's, it's hard for me to look up and say, well, how much do I need personally? But again, it goes back to that why and that culture conversation. I'm just right. a broken record with it, man. But if I'm truly inspired by the thing I say I'm inspired by, then making money isn't the end. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, people, you know, it wouldn't surprise me for people like, God, oh, this guy's full of BS. He just wants to get rich. But at the end of the day, what I really want to do is I want to affect change in my community. And the more money that we make, mm-hmm. the more we can give. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to close the podcast out with a question that I asked earlier. You know, I think it's important okay. as fast as you guys are growing, the, the things that you've been able to accomplish already, you seem to have a, a very definite purpose and understanding based on your past in the insurance business of how you want to move forward. And you seem to be extremely confident in understanding what it's going to take to get you to where you want to be. I think you see the movie in front of you, right? I mean, you kind of, you seem like that kind of guy. You already see it. Now we just got to go, we got to go do it. But what give our agents that are listening to this right now, as you think about three, four, five different just action items that you feel like other agents around the country can listen to and implement when they get off the phone today or get off their phone listening to this podcast, give them some things, give them a few action items that you feel like they can do to increase their success, their profitability, to be able to give back to their communities. First read, start with why and traction. Those two books. Okay. I think if you take start with why by Simon Sinek and traction by whoever wrote traction, what's his name? Right. I I got (laughs) you. Whoever wrote traction. If you take those two books, uh, and you can and you can marry those two books together. Uh-huh. You can create something awesome because right. uh, you've got the why, and then you've got the processes that support it. Got you. We've got the question of what the most important, the biggest problem is, right? You know, so this is really what it all comes back to, where we really started the conversation. Mm-hmm. The thing that I want to challenge agents. So I really need to talk to independent agency owners, particularly, or those who are thinking about going that way, because what I was able to do, I was able to do because I had capital. And a lot of agencies, you know, I'm a Dave Ramsey ELP, you probably hate me for saying this, but you have the opportunity to think like an investor. Mm-hmm. And if you have a $5 million book of business, there is capital at your fingertips that someone will give you with a good business plan. Mm. So if you want to go, if, if you want to stop trying to hire people from Hardee's and Cracker Barrel because you had a good waiting experience and you want to go find the best. So I hired the number 15 producer in the country for Liberty Mutual. Mm-hmm. I stole her from agencies who were recruiting who were a hundred times bigger than I am mm-hmm. now, right? How did we get her? Well, one, we paid her well and we also had the cultural component to it, right? 
but we had to be able to pay her also. So pay is part of this. In our agency handbook, we say that we are going to have the most competitive pay in the industry. We put it right there, that we are always going to seek to have the most competitive pay in the industry. So because we're at one willing to not make as much money, I'm peace has to be part of the equation. Right? So I'm sorry, everything's philosophical and not actionable, but peace has to be part of the equation. And if I can pay somebody $10,000 more for me to be able to sleep well at night, man, I'm making that deal every day. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're generating a, a positive return, right? Isn't it such a huge sense of responsibility to to you hiring these people? Does it scare you a little bit? Because I've I've recruited some folks who are t- big producers, and I'm like, man, that's a to attract someone to have the audacity to think that someone's going to come work for you that's already successful somewhere else. That's a big sense of responsibility. Wouldn't you agree? It is definitely a big sense of responsibility. I think in order to take that, you almost have to have a certain level of confidence. Uh, You know, you could probably maybe even call it arrogance. Um, I think I like confidence because I think that kind of goes more towards a correct assumption of reality you have to believe that you can do it. Right. And so because I was a top producer, I know what they look like. I know how they think. I know how they act. So I just go find people who they first have to be inspired by our message. If you can't hear what real stands for and then immediately start doing it, like Scott started doing it immediately, I could tell. But if you can't start immediately saying, man, this narrative would really affect some type of great response. And I could use it to do this, 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 and this. If you're not immediately thinking like that, you're not the right person. Mm-hmm. Forget how, how great of a producer you are, wherever you were, right? But then once they enter the, once they pass through the cultural doors, and now it's time to talk about pay. Honestly, money's the easy part. And what I would tell everyone to do is break out a spreadsheet and see how much a good producer costs. So let's talk. Let's just use some real numbers. A good producer for personal lines, you might pay fifty thousand dollars a year for. If you use 50, 50% new, 35% renewal, and this is exactly what my structure is, and I'll talk to anybody about it who wants to look me up. Say that again. Um, and you look over the course of $50,000 base, 50% new, 35% renewal. That's actually not what I wanted to give, by the way, but in order to get the best people, I had to make some changes. Initially, I wanted to do 25% new, 25% renewal, but that just wasn't going to cut it. That so was anyway, what I started out um, as well, can, and I've increased it since then. And if you can find the right person, honestly, the right person at that would probably be closer to like a $30,000, $35,000 base, and you'd be finding someone new. Yeah. Uh, but someone established is going to need something different. The 50, if you take it out, it's going to end up costing you in terms of sunk cost about $105,000 over the course of three years. That's how much that producer is going to cost you. Run it out to five years and see what your return of investment is. And then say, hey, if someone came to me and said, if you give me $100,000, I'm going to turn it into $500,000 in five years. Would you take that? And we're not even talking about the market value of the book that they're creating. Right. Right. It's a question of return of investment. And so many people are in our industry. So the actionable item is change your freaking mindset and stop trying to be cheap and think like an investor. Right. And investors aren't trying to nickel and dime. They actually are happy to pay more for something that's going to have a bigger return of investment down the road. Now that said, this isn't for everybody. You know, I have a buddy who he has a a $1.8 million agency. It's him and one of his team members. And she probably makes 30, $35,000 a year. After all of his expenses, the guy's probably rolling around 175,000 a year, playing a lot of golf, spending time with his wife and baby. Would I ever think that that guy has made a bad decision for his life? (laughs) No way. Right. That's brilliant. That's perfect. So this isn't meant to be for everybody, but for those of us who actually want to go from one to two, from two to five, from five to 10, or from two to a hundred, 
I think that this is the mentality that we have to take moving forward. We have to have culture as a foundation and we have to go be willing to think like investors in our people. And then, like you said, Brad, I, th- I think you have to have a certain level of confidence with hiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and again, I think that as we're trying, you know, I, I talk about that thing that we're trying to solve for the, for the captive side, we're bringing somebody from all states over and they're having a mass exodus right now because of anyway, but yeah, what we're trying to figure out is how do we treat them fair? Mm-hmm. And most of them, because of that model because, and you know, nothing bad about that company in particular, but because of the model and the way they choose to business, they can't hire and treat people. This is the same thing I've heard from every all state agent I've talked to. I can't get good people because I can't pay them well. I can't pay them well enough. And those captive models tend to cap their agents. If I talk to 100 agents, I guarantee you the average is going to be around $2.5 million a book of business. They can't get more. Mm. They just can't figure out how to get more. It's because of those things. So one of the things we're trying to figure out is how do we give agents that tool? How, How would I have a conversation with you and say, man, this is how you need to hire, right? And so part of it is I think it's a personal strength of mine. In fact, I would tell you that I feel like I'm a better recruiter than I am anything else. Mm, I would agree with Um, that. mm -hmm. But, you know, and kind of what I was trying to say earlier is, you know, there you have to when hiring people and going after rock stars, you have to have the confidence to say you need to come to work here Mm -hmm. while also having the humility and the self-awareness to know that attracting and retaining someone who is of a high caliber is a huge sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, let's let's tie it all together. And so that concept of of open handedness, right? If I if I truly say that I love you and I'm for you, then my thing can't be the thing that I want for you, right? I have to be interested in the thing that you need, and that may not be me. And that's how we handle our clients, and that's how we handle prospective agents who want to partner with us or work for us. And so a lot of it has to go back to like story brand, right? And I need to figure out where you are on your journey. And how can I be a guide to you? And if I'm a true guide, then I can't have the answer predetermined and it can't be that my agency or my resource is the best thing for you. I was just talking to an Allstate agent yesterday and I said, man, I was like, I'd love to partner with you. But the truth is, if I'm you, this is how I'm thinking. I'm going to try and go get partners. And what I did is I sent him an email with the people that I know who are in his area that he can talk to and get an appointment. I told him how to do it. Now, if he can't get the appointments he needs, who will he call? You. He'll call me. <clears throat> and the reason I did it wasn't for that, but the reason I did it is because that's what's, what's in his best interest. And so I do what's in his best interest and I help him. And worst case scenario, I'll make a friend, <laughs> right? And best case scenario, in either regard, whether he goes with them or goes with me, I'm able to make a change in someone's life that is forever. Right. right? The decision-making paradigm has to be, we have to think about how you, what matters to you more than what matters to me. The best team meeting I ever had was we sat around and I said, hey, everyone, tell me what you are going to be able to do in five years because of this business where you work here at Real Insurance. I love that. What ended up happening is my team members then realized and it clicked immediately. And they said, so when I answer the phone for her, I'm not just creating more work for myself. I'm helping her go watch her son play D1 football. Or when I answer the phone for him, I'm helping him create a life for himself so that when he's ready to get married, he's in a financially stable position to support a family. Hey, Christian, so then Chris, we were able Christian to buy- say that again. You said the best team meeting you ever had, you walked in and you asked the question, what are you going to be able to do in five years? What was the rest of that? Yeah. What are you going to be able to do in five years specifically because of the job you have here? 
So because you work here, what will that mean to you in five years? And the answers were, I'm going to be able to send my kid to college. One of them was, I'm going to be able to leave early because of the culture we have. I'm be able to leave and take off and I can work from anywhere and I can go watch my son play D1 football as he travels. Right. One of the other people said, man, I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm not married yet and I hope to be someday. I'll be able to own a house and, you know, have no debt and be able to provide for a stable and secure family. And so then my team was able to buy in to the dreams Mm -hmm. of the people around the table with them. And so then when they were working on their behalf, it wasn't just that they were doing extra work. It was that they were helping the person beside them accomplish their dream, knowing that that person is going to do the same for them. Right. We're up against the timeline right now, but Christian, I want to say thank you for so many reasons. You and I are a lot alike. I see a lot of similarities in our story. I see a lot of similarities in things that we do within our agencies. I wish I could go into more detail about that right now, but I can't. But I will definitely be doing another Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will. (laughs) I want to expand on the title company thing. I want to know how that works out on the on the other side. Right. And and, and talk more about that. And and we on behalf of our our listeners, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Absolutely. Because I guarantee you there are people in this industry who have done things similar to that that don't want to talk about it. Well, and and I I understand that. I'm empathetic to that. Yeah. But but I really appreciate you guys doing that. And I I, I love having people on the podcast that just, you know, are an open book and are going to say, hey, here it is. Take it, leave it, do with it, whatever you want. But (laughs) here's how it is. I'm going to pull my pants down. You pull yours down and we'll we'll just we'll just see what it's all about. <laughs> I, I'm a big That's fan a good of that. Bad thing. Well, I, I want to leave you with this. Coming on this podcast, I'm going to tell you what, it was, what, what, what how I feel about it. All right. Okay. You guys just interviewed Gary V, maybe one of the most famous people in the entire world on on, on multimedia, right? Right. And, and it was kind of like this. You ever you ever go to a karaoke bar and someone gets up and they just absolutely crush like a journey song, right? <laughs> and the entire bar is screaming and yelling, and everyone's super excited. And you're like, that was the most amazing. <laughs> thing I've ever heard. And then they say, it's your turn to go next. (laughs) I love it. Oh, no. No, man. Listen, you know, I've thought a lot about that and a lot about what you just said relative to people coming on the podcast after Gary Vaynerchuk. And if I'm one of the 250,000 insurance agents listening to this right now, I'm not so sure I wouldn't rather hear Christian more than a Gary Dude, I was just thinking that. because because <laughs> because you're in it just like they are you're living it you're in the yeah. foxhole with everybody else I mean Gary's able to touch on some things and he's able to say some you know big picture type things but man to get to hear a person that's living the same thing these guys are living to me I just think a lot of people well, would rather a- listen to you it's so. apples and oranges but right. yeah it's it, absolutely you know yeah. and Someone like Christian, like, and like you said, I mean, Gary's touching on it, you mm-hmm. know, but Christian can say, hey, go do this. You know what I mean? And Gary can say, hey, go do this too, but he still doesn't know, okay, if it's going to work or not. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's funny, uh, my buddy Joe Hollier, who, who runs the insurance scramble, I texted him the week of the Gary V episode and said, hey, you have the distinct honor of following Gary V up this week, <laughs> despite the fact that it's Gary Vaynerchuk, right. but also the fact that it was a really good episode, mm-hmm. double whammy there, right. but Joe's like, thank God we recorded that beforehand, and I didn't know that when we recorded that, because I don't know if you remember, Scott, Joe's episode, we kind of like threw it together right. almost, because we, like, we were always going to do one with him, but we were like, hey, can you go tomorrow? Right. And he's like, yeah, sure. Christian, I'm going to close this thing out. Guys... 
Listen, every week on this podcast, I talk about rewards come from action, not discussion. What you need to do today is get your ass out from behind that desk. If you want to make generational impact in your community, and for that matter, let's just set that aside for just a second. Let's go out today and let's make money for our family and for your kids' college fund and for your parents that are struggling out there today and they need help. Let's go make money for them. And big picture, let's make enough money that we can make generational impact in our community. We can have that scholarship every year for your local high school that you played ball for. We can do the things to help our community in the ways that otherwise you would not be able to. So get your ass out there today and go make a difference. Write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, man. Hey, I want to say this to my boy. I love you too, Christian. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys.